Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred at Roselands, Episode 10 You found Mrs. Travilla a decided contrast to the other lady, remarked Mrs. Dinsmore as they drove down the avenue at Ion. Pray, which do you think is right in her religious views? There is no question in my mind as to which is more attractive, said Mildred, or which seems to recommend her religion the most by her looks and ways. Yet Mrs. Landris' self-denial certainly appears commendable. But, oh, I confess that I am really puzzled and must take time to consider. Well, I hope you won't pattern after Mrs. Landreth. No, never, Mildred exclaimed with energy. I know it cannot be right to make home uninviting and cheerless. My mother has taught me better than that, both by precept and example. There is a letter for you, my dear, Mr. Dinsing, his wife and niece, from the carriage. From whom? she asked with interest. I have not opened it, but the address is in your sister Delilah's hand. Ah, then it is just the one I want. At the tea table, Mrs. Dinsmore made an announcement. My nieces, Juliet and Reba Marston, are coming on a visit here. We may expect them tonight or tomorrow. Tonight? said Mr. Dinsmore, inquiringly. They come by the stage, eh? Yes, it passes at what hour? Eight prop. To eight pop to the servant in waiting. Tell Aunt Phoebe to have a hot supper ready at quarter past eight. Young ladies, Aunt? asked Mildred, looking up with a bright, pleased face. Yes, eighteen and twenty. Company for you, I hope. Mildred slipped away to her own room shortly before the time for the arrival of the stage. She had a lesson to prepare, a letter to write, and thought her aunt would want to have her nieces to herself for the first hour or two. Besides, Mrs. Dinsmore had expressed an intention to send them to bed betimes, that they might be fresh for the ball, which was to come off the next evening. On the stairway, Mildred met her three cousins, Adelaide, Louise, and Laura. Study hours just over, and we're going to the drawing room, they announced. We've got leave to stay up and see our cousins when they come. That's nice, she answered. I hope to see them in the morning. In the hall above, she passed Miss Worth on her way from the schoolroom to her own apartment. She was struck with the weary and sad expression of her face, and paused for an instant, half inclined to offer her sympathy and ask if any in anything she could be of service. But with a slight nod of recognition, the governess glided by, and the next moment Mildred heard her door close and the key turn in the lock. Poor thing, I dare say she is homesick, thought Mildred, passing on into her own room, which she found, as usual, very bright and cheery, a good fare, a table with an astral lamp, books and writing materials drawn up near it, an easy chair on the farther side, the one inviting to work, the other to repose. She had completely won Rachel's heart, and the young handmaiden took special pride and pleasure in arranging everything to Miss Nellie's liking, and being always ready to wait upon her. Mildred sat down at the table and opened her books. 
two hours for these, and my letter to mother, then to bed and to sleep, that I may be able to rise early and secure the two morning hours for study before seeing those girls at breakfast was the thought in her mind. She set herself to work with determined energy, but in vain. She could not fix her attention. She conned the words again and again, but without taking in their meaning. Miss Worth's sad face kept coming between her and the printed page. She is very lonely. She needs a friend, a comforter, whispered the inward voice. But she might consider me an intruder, trying to pry into her private affairs, forcing a friendship upon her which she has never sought, and she's so much older than I, was the answering thought. And she is only a governess. Aunt Belay evidently considers her quite beneath her friendship, and might be displeased if I put her on an equality with myself. But Mildred blushed to find herself influenced by such a motive. She too might be a governess some day, and she might, would be none the less a lady. It was an honorable and useful calling, and it ought to be considered far more creditable to earn one's bread thus than to be willing to live upon the labor of others. No, she exclaimed half aloud, closing her book and pushing it from her, that shall not hinder me, but I ought, ought I to go? Dropping her face into her hand, she sent up a silent petition, Lord, show me. I desire to acknowledge thee in all my ways, and I know thou wilt fulfill thy gracious promise to direct my paths. Then she tried to put herself in Miss Worth's place. How utterly lonely the poor governess was among them all. Among, and yet not of them, Mrs. Dinsmore would as soon have thought of sympathizing automaton as with any of the human creatures employed in her service. Her domestics were comfortably fed and clothed. Miss Worth's liberal salary was always punctually paid, and what more could any of them ask? As Mildred mentally reviewed the events of the past weeks, she realized, as never before, how entirely apart from them all this one member of the family circle had been. Her presence ignored in their familiar chat, except when it related in some way to her duties. Her wishes, taste, convenience never consulted. No interest taken in her welfare, no inquiries regarding her health or happiness, or as to whether her letters, usually handed to her at the breakfast table when the others received theirs, brought good news or ill. Ah, now it came to Mildred's recollection that that morning's mail brought a letter for Miss Worth, and had she not looked a little paler than her wont at dinner, and were there not traces of tears about her eyes? Her hesitation was at an end. She was quite sure that if bad news had come to her, she would be glad to have the sympathy of even a child or an animal, and only waiting to ask for wisdom to do and say the right thing, she rose and went out into the hall. The stage had just driven up to the door, and the sounds coming from below told of the arrival of the expected guests. Happy, girlish voices mingled with those of her aunt, uncle, and cousins. She lingered a moment, thinking how pleasant it would be should these girls prove congenial companions to her. Then, going to Miss Worth's door, she tapped lightly on it. A step came slowly across the room, and the door opened. "'Excuse me,' Mildred said, blushing and hesitating. "'I do not wish to intrude, but I thought you looked sad and had perhaps heard ill news. Might be homesick in need of a friend.' even if it were one who had only sympathy to offer. Come in, won't you? It is very, very kind, Miss Keith. I did not expect it, and, and I do want a friend, was answered in hurried, tremulous tones as Miss Worth stepped back to allow her visitor 
to pass in, then closed the door and set a chair for her near the fire. A writing desk stood open on the table, an unfinished letter lying upon it. I am afraid I have disturbed you, Mildred said. Can I say what I wished, or perhaps did not know what I wanted to say? The governess answered with a dreary sigh. Silence fell between them for some moments. Miss Worth, who had resumed her seat, gazing abstractedly into the fire, while Mildred was trying to think what to say and silently asking to be directed. But she was not the first to speak. Does life ever seem to you a weary road to travel, Miss Keith? A burden that you would be glad to lay down forever? asked the governess. But I forget, you are so young, so happy, that you can know nothing of such an experience. At your age, I was happy and light-hearted too, as well I might be, at home in my father's house, and abundantly supplied with comforts and luxuries, without thought or care of mine. All times are sadly changed with me, and all who are nearest and dearest to me. But excuse me, I have no right to obtrude my private griefs upon you. Please don't feel so, Mildred said, sympathetic tears springing to her eyes. I cannot tell you how sorry I am for you, how I would like to comfort you, and I know it is sometimes a relief and comfort just to pour out our sorrows to a fellow creature. And oh, Miss Worth, I wish you knew what a comfort it is to tell them all to Jesus, she added low and feelingly. Is it? Do you think he can hear? That he listens? That he cares? That... The look that accompanied the questions was half eager, half skeptical, and full of unexpressed longing. I have not the least doubt of it, Mildred answered with earnest conviction in her tones. God over all blessed forever. He is everywhere present. He has, as he himself declared, all power given unto him in heaven and in earth. And he is so full of love and compassion that he deems nothing that concerns his children one way or another too small for his attention. He would not have even the little children turned away when the parents brought them to him, and he cares for the sparrows. Are not two sparrows so for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. But I am not one of his children, sighed the governess. I have paid no attention to these things, Miss Mildred. I did not seek him in my days of prosperity, and I cannot expect him to care for me now in my adversity. But he is so loving and compassionate, so ready to forgive. He proclaims himself the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You say you want a friend, Miss Worth, and there is none other that can compare with Jesus in love and tenderness, and power, and willingness to do all you need. A friend, repeated Miss Worth absently, more as if thinking aloud than talking to her visitor. Yes, that is what I need, what I have been longing for for days and weeks, more especially tonight. But, and she turned her face abruptly toward Mildred, while her voice took a touchingly pathetic tone, I know not how or where to find the one you speak of. Nor can I believe that he would receive me if I did, that he would care to help and comfort me. Why should he? 
I don't know, except that he is so good, so kind, so loving, Mildred said, her eyes shining. But dare you doubt his word, the word of him who tells us that he himself is the truth? Does he say that? Yes, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. Oh, believe his love, the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ah, but am I included in that word, our? Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Could imitations be more comprehensive? No, I think not, but how, Miss Mildred? How shall I come? I was not religiously brought up, and am very ignorant on these subjects. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But what am I to do? Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, quoted Mildred, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Only believe, for by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you not see that Christ has done it all, kept the law for us, borne its penalty in our stead, and now offers us the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, and adoption into God's family, all as a free gift, the purchase of, of His blood. We cannot merit it, we cannot buy it. It is without money and without price. All we can do is to accept the offer of salvation, and forsaking every other hope and trust, lean wholly upon Jesus. Miss Worth seemed lost and sad, perplexing thought, while Mildred's heart went up in silent petition on her behalf. Tell it me again, she said at length with emotion, and Mildred tried to make a clearer statement than before. It's so simple and beautiful, God's plan of salvation, Mildred said in conclusion, only to give ourselves unreservedly to the Lord and trust wholly in Him. Jesus said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. And of his sheep, he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Yes, but I want a friend now, for this life, its cares, troubles, trials, perplexities. Does he promise that? Asked the governess with a wistful, longing look. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. In very many places, Mildred said. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven, there shall no evil touch thee. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again a few moments of profound silence, while Miss Worth seemed to be thinking deeply, then turning to Mildred, I cannot express my sense of your kindness, she said, and 
She paused, hesitated, but went on hurriedly and with emotion. I will seek this friend of whom you have been speaking, for I sorely need such an one. But you, she continued with increasing emotion, you have so generously offered your sympathy, yet refrained with true delicacy from showing the least curiosity in regard to my troubles. But it would be a relief to confide in you to some extent if, if you would care to listen. I should be much interested, and very glad to be of service, Mildred answered gently, and I think I need not assure you that your confidence will be sacred. No, I am quite certain of that, returned Miss Worth, then went on to give a slight sketch of her past life, or rather of some parts of it, for she did not deem it necessary or wise to tell of all the trials which had fallen to her lot. Her father, she said, had been in the early part of his career a very successful businessman, and in her childhood and youth she was surrounded with luxury, but reverses came, loss followed loss, till they were reduced to absolute poverty. Then her father died, and the burden of her mother's support, as well as her own, and that of a younger sister, fell upon her. There was an older sister who had been married for some years, but her husband was disabled, and she had several little children to provide for as best she could. The mother and Delilah, the young sister, lived with her, but Miss Worth paid their board and clothed them. The letter received today was from Mrs. Marks, the married one, and drew a sad picture of toil, privation, and bitter disappointment. Her children were sick. Her husband came home drunk every night to threaten and abuse her, and then the mother fretted continually over their reverses and her own ailments. Fancied a Oriole, and Delilah was dissatisfied because she could not dress like other girls in the school she attended. The letter wound up with a request for a loan and a hint that the sum paid for board of the mother and sister was too small. Also, a little note was enclosed from Delilah, asking, indeed almost demanding, money for the purchase of a new dress. But of these Miss Worth said nothing. Mildred was full of genuine sympathy, and showed it in a way that was very soothing and comforting. Yet after she was gone, the burden rolled back upon the heart of the poor lonely governess she sat long over the fire hands clasped in her lap head bowed upon her breast vainly striving to solve the perplexing problem how she was to meet all the demands upon her slender purse her disposition was noble and self-sacrificing she would have willingly denied herself all superfluities in dress that her mother might not miss her accustomed luxuries delilah go without finery or mrs marks and her children be overworked or underfed but it would not do. Mrs. Dinsmore government must be many removes from shabby in her attire. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker Soft Story Classic.